Amen. You may be seated. goodness, Jesus is worthy. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Let's give Jesus a hand right now. Oh, goodness, he's worthy of our praise. Now, if you have your Bible with you, either a printed copy like I have right here, or you have a copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your copy of God's Word with me this morning to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 25. Now before we get started into God's word this morning I want to ask you a question. How have you been doing with prayer this week? You know last week we talked about prayer. We talked about establishing the habit of prayer in your life in 2023. How have you been doing? Have you prayed every day? If not why not? And if you haven't I just want to challenge you today, renew again, that in 2023, you're going to make it a habit to go into God's presence in prayer each and every day. Now, in 2007, a rather popular book came out. The book was entitled, The Year of Living Biblically. And it wasn't a Christian book. Actually, the book was written by a Jewish agnostic. This is what he said of himself. He said, I'm officially Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way that Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant. So he wasn't really Jewish. He didn't practice his Jewish faith. He lived in Manhattan, and for an entire year, he tried to put into practice the laws that are revealed in the Bible, both the big ones like the Ten Commandments and the little ones, the the Levitical laws, the the dietary laws, the dress laws that we see in the book of Leviticus. And as you can imagine, that year was a pretty crazy year. Like, for instance, Leviticus says that you're not to, to shave the sides of your beard. And so for a whole year, this man didn't shave. And by the end of the year, he looked like he belonged on the cast of Duck Dynasty. And then he decided that he would not wear any clothes that had mixed fibers in them because the Bible says you're not to do that. 
And then he decided that he would not shake hands or touch any woman that was unclean. And as you can imagine, that, that led to some awkward situations in his life. But the most funny thing that I think he tried to do is he had these little pebbles that he, that he took with him. And whenever he saw someone who was an adulterer, he would fling those little pebbles at the adulterer. Because that's what the Bible says in the New Testament you're to do. Now, and as you think about how this guy tried to flesh out, live out the, the laws of the Bible, I'm sure that you see a lot of problems with that approach. And that's where we get into problems today with people who say that they're not going to read the Bible, they're not going to try to apply the Bible because it's not relevant to our lives today. But I want you to know that that's a misunderstanding of, of interpretation of Scripture. The tragedy is in the state of the Bible report for 2022, the American Bible Society said that roughly 22 million Americans that had read the Bible in the past at least several times a year stopped reading the Bible. In 2021, the statistics said that, that 50% of Americans read their Bible at least several times a year. And, and that percentage was holding fast since 2011. But in 2022, that statistic dropped by 11%, 22 million people. 22 less million people said that they read their Bible more than once a year in 2022. And yet, I want you to listen to what the Bible says about itself. In James chapter 1, verse 25, I, I'm reading again from the Phillips translation because I really like how that translation frames this verse. It says, the one who looks steadily at God's perfect law and then makes that his habit, not listening and then forgetting, but actively putting it into practice, will be happy in all that he does. Now notice what James says there. First he says that we are to look steadily at God's law. That means on a regular basis we're to make it our habit. And that's why this is habit number two for us this year as we seek to establish habits in 2023. But then he says we're not simply to listen to the word, read the word. We're to put it into practice. We are to do what we learn from it. We do it as it says. And it says when we do that, we will discover true happiness. Don't miss that. James says that when we will make a habit of reading the word and we will simply do what it says to do, we will find real happiness. Now, the Apostle John said much the same thing in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, he said, Happy is the one who reads this book. Now, and obviously, John was talking about the book of Revelation when he penned Revelation 1, 3. But I believe that God in his sovereignty, God in his wisdom, put this at the end of the Bible so that we would know that this truth applies to the entire Word of God. When we read God's Word, we can find real happiness. St. Augustine in, in Confessions of St. Augustine said this. He said, I heard, take up and read, take up and read. And I did, and it changed my life. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, said this. He said, I speak as a man of the word, world to men of the world, and I say to you, search the Scriptures, 
The Bible is the book of all others to be read at all ages and in all conditions of human life. Not to be read once or twice or thrice through and, and then laid aside, but to be read in small portions of one or two chapters every day and never to be intermitted unless by some overruling necessity. Abraham Lincoln, our, our 16th president, said, I am profitably engaged in reading the Bible. Take all of this book upon reason that you can and balance it by faith and you will live and die a better man. I want you to understand this book is like no other book. This book is more important than every other book ever written. You see, the Bible is the most amazing book that has ever been written. Now, the Bible is comprised of 66 individual books. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. There's 31,173 verses. The Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years. It was written by, by about 35 different people. David was a king. Peter was a fisherman. Luke was a tax collector, or Luke was a doctor. Joshua was a military leader. Matthew was a tax collector. Some of these books were written in palaces. Others were written out in pastures. Some were written while the person writing them was sitting in prison. The Bible consists of history and legal codes. It consists of poetry and prophecy, proverbs and letters. There's even a love story in the Bible. Now, on the surface... The Bible appears to be simply a collection of various types of literature. But the Bible is much more than that. You see, from cover to cover, the Bible has one unified theme. And that is to point us to Jesus. From beginning to end, that is the purpose of the Bible. We see, Genesis, or see Jesus in Genesis 3 when we are promised a redeemer from the seed of woman. We see Jesus in Genesis chapter 12 where we see that the seed of Abraham will be a blessing to the world. We see Jesus in Genesis chapter 22 where we're told the Lord will provide a sacrifice. On almost every page of the Bible, we see Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus said this in John 5. He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. John the apostle, when he was wrapping up his gospel, said, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Every book of the Bible, all 66 have been woven together perfectly to accomplish God's plan. And that plan is to lead us to Jesus. Now, I want you to hear me. The Bible is so amazing that if you take this word and you apply what it teaches financially to your life, you will be better off financially. The Bible is such an amazing book that if you apply the principles that it teaches relationally to your life, your relationships will be far better. 
the principles and truths that it apply when it comes to health, nutrition, and wellness will absolutely change your health. But that's not the purpose of the Bible. If you read the Bible and, and you are beginning to have financial success and relational success and, and all of these other things, but you miss Jesus, you've missed the point of the Bible. But what you need to understand is what makes the Bible different is the Bible isn't just a human book. It's not just written by man. It's a divine book that comes from the mouth of God via human instruments. That's why the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed, theonumos, from the very mouth of God. God used human authors. He used their personalities and their intellects, their experiences, their emotions to give us exactly what he wanted communicated in the way that he wanted it communicated. What that means is the Bible is a one-of-a-kind book. No other book has God as its author. We talk about people and books and songs being inspired, but none have been inspired by God like the Bible. The world is filled with religious books. The world is filled with inspirational books, but none can claim God as its author. That's why Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. Or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And I could speak to you for hours this morning about why I believe the Bible is the inspired, perfect Word of God. But that's not our purpose this morning. Our, our purpose is to get you reading the Bible. And so what I want to do is for the next several minutes focus on how to read the Bible. And I want to encourage you, take some notes. So get a pen out, some mascara, something, and take some notes. Now, if you're a man and you have mascara, we need to talk after church. Okay? Now, here's the first thing. You need to read the Bible prayerfully. Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It consists of 176 verses. And the crazy thing is, every verse in Psalms 119 is about the Bible, the Word of God. And in Psalms 119, 18, David prays a prayer, and this is his prayer. He says, open my eyes to see the wonderful things in your Word. He's praying, God, help me understand what I'm reading as I read your Word. You see, we must never forget that the Bible is a divine book, and we need divine understanding if we're going to understand its truths. A.W. Tozier said, the Bible is a supernatural book and can be understood only by supernatural aid. Since God is the author of the Bible, only God can give us understanding to the Bible. That's why it's important that we approach our reading prayerfully. You can have a Ph.D. from Harvard or Yale or any of the other great schools in America and be an apt when it comes to the Bible. Because a divinely inspired book needs to be a divinely interpreted book. Commentators and preachers such as myself can help you in understanding the Bible. But the best one to help you understand is the author of the Bible. Say I had a book. 
And I was having a hard time understanding this book. And the author of this book lived next door to me. Well, what I would do is I would step out my door. I'd go next door, knock on his door and say, hey, what did you mean when you said this? And that's what we need to do when we're reading God's Word. God, open my eyes so that I can see the wonderful things in your Word. Martin Luther, the reformer, said he learned more by prayer than he ever learned any other way. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, do you wish to begin to be true readers? Will you henceforth labor to understand? Then you must get to your knees. You must cry out to God for direction. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. The only people who are going to understand what the Word is saying is those who are crying out to God for direction and those who are seeking God with all of their heart. So we read the Bible prayerfully. Second, we read it consistently. In Deuteronomy, it's talking about the future king of Israel. They don't even have a king yet, but, but God is giving them directions for the future king and, and the word of God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 19, it says this, he must always keep that copy, the copy of God's word with him and read it daily as long as he lives. Did you get that? The king was commanded. You've got to have a copy of God's word and you've got to read it every single day. When the Apostle Paul was writing to his, his protege, Timothy, he said this in 1 Timothy 4. He said, until I get there, focus on reading the Scriptures. Now, it doesn't matter when you read. You can read in the morning. You can read on your lunch break. You can read at night. But you need to read when you're alert. Don't decide to do your Bible reading when you're about to fall asleep. You need to read attentively, alertly, so that you can put your mind into it and I believe that you need to read systematically. Now, what that means is when you do your Bible reading, don't be one of these people who think they're spiritual. They say, God, what do you want me to read today? And you turn to it, and you get to the, you know, 120 begats, and so you feel like God wants you to have 120 kids or something like that. No, that's not what you want to do. You want to read the Word of God systematically. And, and so if you're reading a book of the Bible, start with chapter 1 and go through the end of that chapter. Read it systematically. If you're trying to discover what God says on a particular topic, you can look up all of those topics and focus on those verses, but don't just, uh, just randomly pick and choose places to read. Read the Bible systematically if you want God's Word to bless you as you read it. Now here's a kind of crazy thing. A lot of people think that it's hard to read the Bible through in a year, and it's really not that difficult. If you read three chapters a day and five chapters on Sunday, you'll read the Bible through in a year. Three chapters a day, five chapters on Sunday, you'll read the Bible through in a year. If you read one chapter in the New Testament every day, you'll read through the New Testament in less than, in less than a year. Now, this is kind of crazy to me. If you read the Bible at 200 words a minute, now people say, I, I, I think I'm a, I'm a relatively um, um, slow reader. But if you read at 200 words a minute, you can read through the Bible. If you read for an hour a day, you can read through the Bible in two months. 
That means you could read through the Bible six times a year if you wanted to. If you read through the Bible for 30 minutes a day, you read 200 words a day, you could read through the Bible in four months. That means you could read through it three times in a year. Now, I'm not telling you to do that, but what I am telling you to do is you need to consistently read the Bible. It would be good for you, even if you started now, to say, I'm going to read through the Bible. I've never done that. But I challenge you to consistently and systematically read through the Bible. And this brings me to the third thing that we need to do. We need to read the Bible thoroughly. You see, our goal is not just to get into the Bible or to get through the Bible. It's to let the Bible get into us. So when we read the Bible, we give it our attention. We give it our full attention, seeking to understand what a passage is saying. In Acts chapter 17, when when Paul proclaimed God's word to the Bereans, it says they were very willing to receive God's message. And every day, they carefully examined the scriptures. And notice something, every day. So they were doing it consistently every day, and they were examining the scriptures. They were wanting to make sure that they understood what the passage was saying. And so with that in mind, let me give you some Bible reading tips. And if you haven't written anything down, you need to write this down. Or you're going to need to go back and listen to this message again, okay? Here's the first tip. Begin with a readable and accurate translation. Begin with a readable and accurate translation. Now, we have paraphrases and we have translations of the Bible. A translation is a word-for-word translation of the Scripture from the Hebrew text, from the Greek text. It's a word-for-word translation. A paraphrase is where they take a passage of Scripture, sometimes longer than others, and they translate that passage as one text. And so you're not getting a word-for-word translation, but it's accurate nevertheless. But I think it's much better to read a translation than a paraphrase. But you can get an accurate translation, and if you don't understand it, it's not going to do you any good. Back when I was growing up, everybody read the King James. There wasn't a whole lot of translations more than that and I got to tell you I had a hard time with King James and the reason I had a hard time with King James is I'm just not an Elizabethan English type person and the King James was translated into English in 1611 about the time of Shakespeare and so that's kind of how they translated that text at that time and it's not very readable to be honest with you And so even after high school and even after college and even into seminary, a lot of education, I still struggled with understanding the King James. And so I looked and tried to find out what is an accurate translation that's more readable, and I found the NIV. And the NIV was a very good translation for me to read and begin to study and learn. And then they came out with a New Living Translation, which is a translation that's written in modern-day English. And I just love it. Because it's easy to read, and it's an accurate translation as well. Now, here's the deal. You need to find you a translation where you can understand, and you need to read it. Now, here, if you're here, and you say, well, the KJV is all there is, I love you. <laughs> and I believe, I really do believe that your heart is probably good. But you're wrong. The King James was translated in 1611 by an edict of King James, who was the king of England, putting the word of God in the language of the people of the day. That's what it was. 
They were translating the Hebrew text in the Old Testament, the Greek and Aramaic text in the New Testament from the text. And so it's nothing that is special with the King James. What we need to make sure is that the translators are translating from the Hebrew text and the Greek text that are not adding to it or they're not taken away from it. So get an accurate and readable translation. Here's the second thing. Look for Jesus. Remember, the purpose of Scripture is Jesus. So as you read the Scripture every day, wherever you're at in your Bible reading, try to find Jesus. Is there a prophecy about Jesus? Is there a foretaste of Jesus? Is there something that's letting us know of Jesus in this passage? Here's the third thing. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Now you say, what do you mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. Though every single word is inspired by God and it's important, we often get caught up in little details and end up missing the overarching message. You see, if I'm reading a passage and I get caught up in this detail, I can go real deep in that detail and I end up missing what God's really trying to say in this passage. And that doesn't change the fact that every single word is inspired by God and is there for a reason. It just means that Oftentimes, we miss the forest because we're focusing on one tree. Next, there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. And if you're here and you're saying, Rocky, what are you talking about? You've never read the Bible through. I mean, there's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff in the Bible. Now, my wife has been reading through the Bible with me now for going on three years. This is her third year, and I am so, so proud of her. But even as we read the Bible every morning, and then we kind of try to unpack it, she will oftentimes come up and say, why in the world is this here? Why did God let them do this? And I go, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Now, now understand, what happens is that we're reading these stories in the Bible, and they don't fit into our cultural narrative, the culture in which we live, and we allow our cultural narrative to skew our ability to learn from the truths that God is trying to teach us. Does that make sense? So there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. Here's the fifth thing. Read for application first and information second. The difference between the Bible and most other books out there is other books were written for our information. The Bible was written for our transformation. We don't read the Bible to make us scholars. We read the Bible to make us saints. And, and there is information we need to know, but the question we really need to ask is, what that I read do I need to learn that I can apply to my life so that I can be more like Jesus? The doctrine we learn will help, will help transform our worldview to a biblical worldview. The application we learn will help us Know how to put into practice how God wants us to live. Here's the next thing. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. You may not understand what it's saying, but God is the author. And because God is the author, the Bible can't contradict itself. Any appearance of contradiction is the result of our lack of understanding or our ability to analyze the text within the cultural context in which it was written. So the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Here's the most important for many today. A text cannot mean what it's never meant. Let me say that again. A text cannot mean what it's never meant. 
what the author intended when he penned the words under the inspiration of God is what the text still means. The writer's goal and the reader's take must align if it's going to be correct. Occasionally, you'll hear people in groups, they'll gather around, you know, and say, well, what did this passage mean to you? Well, can I tell you something? If you have six people in a room talking about what this passage means to them, at least five of them, if they're not in alignment, are wrong. And chances are six of them could be wrong. Because the text means what the text means. And when we sit back and say, well, this is what it meant to me, we are stepping out of bounds when it comes to understanding Scripture. And most likely we are misinterpreting Scripture And that is a dangerous thing to do. Now, there are passages of Scripture that we must understand the cultural context. For instance, as I I look out, I, I, I don't see a single woman who has her hair covered, her hair, her head covered. First Corinthians says we're supposed to. You pagans? Well, you need to understand the context and the culture within which that was written. It was written in a place where there were temple prostitutes and there were all kind of things going on and there is a context to that that applied to them that doesn't apply to us today, but the principle of the passage still applies. And so a text means what it's always meant. It can't mean something different. Here's the final thing. When reading... Ask questions. I want to give you a variety of questions. First of all, you need to ask, what does God want me to believe as I read this? Second, you need to ask, what does God want me to do? Two simple questions as you read that can transform your reading. What does God want me to believe? What does God want me to do? You can frame that a little bit different, and you can, you can say, what does this passage teach about God? What does this passage teach about man? What does this passage want me to believe? What does this passage want me to do? Now, there are five very specific questions, I think, for application you need to ask as you read. So let's go over those. First, is there a command to obey? The Bible is filled with divine commands. And when God gives us a command in Scripture, there is no question that that's God's perfect will. And if I want to live in God's perfect will, I need to be obedient to the commands of God. Next, is there an example to follow? The first 17 books of the Old Testament are stories. The first five books of the New Testament are stories. And there are a number of stories scattered throughout. In these stories, we have the lives of people. And the New Testament tells us that God gave us these stories for our edification, for examples for us. And so there are things as we read these stories in the Bible that we should do. There are other things that we read in the Bible and go, they messed up there. We don't need to do that. So we need to ask ourselves, is there an example to follow? Third, is there a promise to claim? The Bible is filled with promises that have been given to us by God. And these promises are true and trustworthy and we can stand on them. For instance, the promise of my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. 
That's a promise that God's given us. Paul gave that to the entire church. So that's for you and I today. Now the problem is oftentimes we think that a need is a, is a, or a want is a need. We think a desire is a need. And they're not. We need to recognize that God has promised to give us um, the things that we need, not the things that we want. And sometimes it's hard to, to figure that out. For instance, let me give you an example that I think probably is coming to America, but I hope it doesn't. Suppose we get to a place in America where the church begins to experience real genuine persecution. And they begin to arrest Christians and, and beat Christians and, and all of those things. You say, that could never happen in America. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? All it really takes, I want you to hear me, in America for that to happen is one election. We're a democracy. People can put into law whatever they want to do. I mean, we can, we can have it on the books that Christianity is illegal. People could do that. You say they'll never do that. Well, I would never believe that we would call a man a woman. But we do under the law now. So don't tell me. So suppose we get to that point in America where they're persecuting us. And I go, God, I don't want to be persecuted. I need you to protect me. And I'm arrested. And I'm beaten. And they throw my wife into jail. And they beat her. And I go, God, I've asked you to provide my needs. And, and I need protection. God's going to say, no, you don't. You need holiness. You need righteousness. You need to honor me. And I won't leave you. I won't forsake you as you walk through the shadow of death. So we need to understand some of the things that we think are our needs today aren't our needs. But when we see a promise in Scripture, we can hold on to that. Charles Spurgeon said this. He once compared the divine promises of Scripture to blank checks issued by God to his children. He said they're already signed by God. They are to be co-signed by his children, brought to the heavenly treasury, and drawn against the limitless wealth of heaven's account. And I would say amen to that. Fourth, is there a sin that we need to avoid? There are clear sins in the Bible. For instance, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. So I want you to listen to me. If you say that you're a Christian today and you're living in sexual immorality, you're living in sin against God. And if you're not under convicting power of the Holy Spirit, I would say to you that your salvation is suspect. And you need to understand that. God's Word gives us sins that we are to avoid in our life. And when we try to justify those sins, it is showing that we have not been redeemed we have not been born again. God's Spirit hasn't transformed us from the inside out. Is there a sin to avoid? And finally, is there a principle to follow? A principle is a short practical statement of truth drawn from a passage to guide our lives. That doesn't mean that it's a promise, but it's a principle. And the truth of that principle, for the most part, is true. Like, for instance, train up a child in the way they will go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. That's not talking about a child coming to Jesus, but it's talking about teaching a child to live um, in line with the gifts and the abilities that God has given them. And if you raise them to learn and, and to then live in their giftedness, then they'll never turn from that because they'll find joy and happiness in it. And that's a principle. There's a principle that many of us don't like today, but 
but it's in Proverbs where it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Those that take of it are not wise. It's not saying that drinking is a sin. It's just saying it's, it's not a wise thing to do. That's a principle. And when God gives us a principle in the Bible, we need to listen to it. We need to heed it because God has given it to us for a reason. So, we, we need to read the Bible consistently. We need to read it thoroughly. Fourth thing, we need to read it compliantly. And what I mean by that is we lay, need to let God's Word shape us and form us into what God wants us to be. You see, the Bible is not just a book for us to read. The Bible is a book for us to obey. Psalms 119, verse 9 says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. As we live in God's word and we let God's word live in us, it will act as a guard that will keep us from sin. It will strengthen us and build up our spiritual defenses so that, so that we will be protected from the tempting influences of the world in which we live. James said in James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word, do what it says. See, the Bible needs to be more than a book that you bring to church on Sunday and throw in your back seat for the rest of the week or you bring it to church on Sunday and then it sits by your bed the rest of the week. The Bible needs to be a book that you get into every day and you put into practice what it says. Now let me close with two thoughts. First of all, as you read the Bible, God's desire, if you don't know him, is to come to know him. In Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. God uses his word to transform our life. I want you to listen to what Paul said to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He said, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful for the church that I was brought up in. I was brought up in a church, not a big church, much smaller than our church today, but it was a church that taught the Bible. And my Sunday school teacher as a young boy was Bill Tollison. Bill Tollison seemed, I, I thought he was in his hundreds back then. But I mean, he lived for maybe 30 years after then. So it wasn't, I mean, that's probably what y'all, some of you kids look at me and think I'm 100. But, but I mean, but every Sunday morning, Bill Tollison would open up the Word of God and teach us young boys. And, and we began to recognize the importance of God's Word. My mom, she would always take the kids in our church through Bible drills. And we would memorize scripture and we would learn how to find scripture. And, and my mom, Bill Tollison, and others laid a foundation of God's word in my life so that when I came to that age where I was old enough for the Holy Spirit to convict me, I was convicted of my sin. And knew I needed a righteousness that couldn't come from me, only through Jesus. And if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, that's what you need to do this morning. Like Timothy, like every other child of God, they've heard the word of God and it's transformed their life. But second, I would say for you that know Jesus, I want to challenge you to read the Bible daily. Make that your commitment. Will you commit to reading the Bible every day? day if not why not why not and I won't even go further it's 2023 
the year 2023. So this is what I want you to do this year. In 2023, I want you to give 23 minutes a day, 23 minutes, 23 minutes a day to reading your Bible and praying. We call that a quiet time. 23 minutes in 23 to see God change your life. 23 minutes in 23. Now here's what I know. You start reading your Bible every day and praying, 23 minutes is going to fly by and you're going to find out I need more time. You, you really will, especially if you start praying about a lot of different stuff and, and you really get mesmerized as you get into some of those really cool passages of Scripture. 23 minutes and 23 for God to change your life. Here's what I promise. You do that and you'll come to December the 31st of 2023 and your life will be changed. You'll be different. 23 minutes in prayer and God's word in 2023. See God change you. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, there's nothing more important for you to do today. Nothing. Nothing. And so I want to invite you today, if you're here and you know you need to give your life to Jesus, don't let fear, don't let pride, don't let questions keep you from humbling yourself before God and giving your life to Him today. If you say, I don't know how to do that. In just a moment, we're going to stand. Our band is going to sing. People are going to come down to the altar and pray. And we're going to have multiple pastors down here front. And you can come and just say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. What, how do I do that? We'd love to tell you. It'd be the greatest joy of our life. You may be here and you have something that you desperately need us to pray about. We'd love to pray for you. But for everyone, I want to challenge you to do something. If you'll make a commitment in 2023 to pray and read your Bible every day, you're going to do your best to do that. Then I want to challenge you to come to our altar. We've made it comfortable for you. This is a padded altar. This really is comfortable. Come to the altar and pray and say, God, as best I can, I'm going to commit to read your word. And pray every day this year. And get up. Go back to your seat. You say, Rocky, why do I need to come forward? Because I've discovered that when I make public commitments, other people see me make commitments, there's something, something powerful about that. So that's all you need to do. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. Our altar is going to be open. Pastors are down front. If you need us to pray with you, if you want to talk about salvation. Father God, this is your time. Have your way in our life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me.